All right, well, like I said, it's going to be with you guys this morning. Looking forward to opening God's Word with you. Uh, if you've been with us all, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount the past uh, number of months. Sermon on the Mount is found primarily in the Gospel of Matthew in chapters 5 through 7. There's also another account of the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Luke's Gospel in chapter uh, 5 and 6, I believe, in Luke's Gospel. And um, it's really important to us at River City, maybe you've noticed if you've been here for any length of time, that we always study the Bible together when we're together. And the reason why we do that is because, man, it's just not that important what I have to say. It's really important what Jesus has to say. And so my heart and our time together is, man, I I always want the focus of our time to be on on God's word, on what he's said, because that's the only thing that really actually matters. And so we spent the last number of months looking at Jesus's words, uh, when you look in your Bible in Matthew 5 through 7, they're all red letters. And that means that they're, they're words out of his mouth. They're things that he has said specifically. And the Sermon on the Mount is arguably the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. If you have never read the Bible a single time, you have probably still heard a lot of the words that are in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the tension that is there throughout the whole sermon is that there is a contrast, there is a, is a battle going on that Jesus is laying out between two different kingdoms. And the two kingdoms that are at odds in Jesus' great sermon are the kingdom of religion and the kingdom of the gospel. And when I say religion, I don't mean like a religion. What I mean is religion in the way of thinking and acting about how we relate to God based on our behaviors, our obedience, our actions, our motives, all of that kind of stuff. And religion is when we believe that by our actions, attitudes, behavior, that that's how we get God's approval, that that's how we get his love or maintain it or earn it in some kind of way, shape, or form. And at the root of what's going on throughout Jesus' sermon is that Jesus is saying there are two kingdoms and they are at odds with each other in every possible way. This morning, we come to the conclusion of Jesus' great sermon, and he's laid out the truth about his kingdom. Remember, way back in the first week, we said that every kingdom has a pattern. That's what characterizes the kingdom. It's it's the set of values that govern the kingdom. And Jesus laid out the power of his kingdom, which is how that pattern is brought about. And we said that the pattern of God's, in the pattern of religion, it's that if we obey, then God loves us. But the pattern of the gospel is that because God loves us, we can obey. And the power that brings about that pattern, in religion, it's fear and pride. It's I'm afraid of what will happen if I do not. But in the gospel, it's out of unmerited grace. And we have such a sure and confident foundation, it produces in us a humble joy and an obedience. Lastly, we said that every kingdom has a product. And the product of religion is is arrogance and pride or its despair. But the product of the gospel is humble joy. And throughout Jesus' great sermon, these are the two kingdoms that are in contrast. They are the things that are at war against one another. And in verse uh, 13 of chapter 7, Jesus is concluding, he begins his conclusion of this great sermon. And he's taught about the, the pattern and the power and the product of his kingdom. And we see now that he is applying the truths about that. This is the the so what part of Jesus' sermon. So now what? That's what we get to in chapter 7 here. And we saw as Aaron preached last week that Jesus lays out that there's two paths. There's a narrow road which leads to life and there's a broad road that leads to destruction. There's, There's two prophets. 
There's true prophets and false prophets, and the way that you know them is by the fruit of their life and their ministry. And he said there's two professions of faith. There's a profession of faith that's founded on your doctrine or your passion or, or the works, the service that you've done. But you're not known by Jesus. And there's a profession of faith that is revealed by doing the will of the Father. And those are the ones that are known by Jesus. And so Jesus now finishes his, his conclusion this morning in our passage together, and he wraps all of this up with, with one last picture for us. And it's a picture about two kinds of people. There's a wise builder and a foolish builder. And the difference between these two kinds of people has everything to do with what they do with what Jesus has said. It has everything to do, the difference between the two people is how they respond to Jesus' words. And the point of Jesus' final remarks that we'll read here this morning, the point is that how we respond, our response to his word reveals the truth about the path that we're on. It reveals the truth about the prophets that we're following. It reveals the truth about the profession of faith that we're making. It reveals which kind of person we are. Are we the wise builder or the foolish builder? And ultimately, how we respond to Jesus' words, it reveals the truth about the foundation on which we've based our standing with God. And Jesus is going to say that there's only one foundation that will last there's one foundation that will hold up. There is one foundation that will endure. See, this morning Jesus is going to show us that the foundation always determines the final outcome. The foundation always determines the final outcome. You see, it's the foundation on which we base and build our relationship with God that will determine the final outcome of our faith. It is the foundation on which we base and build our relationship with God. That's what will determine the outcome of our faith. So let's read our passage together and let's pray. We need all the help we can get this morning as we dive into Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, the winds blew, and they beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were absolutely amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. God, thank you so much for your word. God, we are so grateful that, you have, that you've given us your word so that we might know you. God, we're so thankful that. Uh, God, we're thankful for our time in your Sermon on the Mount. God, as you reveal and, and, and proclaim what the truth is about your kingdom and what it's like. God, as we come together this morning, we just, God, I just ask that, you, that your spirit would empower us to respond to your word. God, we, we, have, we, can't, we can't do it without you. And so, God, we just ask that you would be gracious and that you would be merciful, that you would give us insights into the core of our own heart. God, that you'd just give clarity to us. I pray that you do that for our good and for your glory, that we might truly know you and that we would truly live for you. 
God, I just pray um, just for my own heart as I speak this morning. God, fill me with your spirit so I don't have anything valuable to offer. God, help us to put ourselves under the authority of your word. We love you, God. Thanks for loving us first. Amen. Amen. So let me, let's examine Jesus' final picture here in the sermon he, he gives us. There's this analogy he lays out, and there's three, three key components. There are, you'd be proud of me, I alliterated you guys. There are two foremen, the two builders, right? There are two foremen, there are two foundations, and there are two final outcomes. Two foremans, two foundations, two final outcomes. First, the two foremen. They represent people who have responded to Jesus' words in different ways. In verse 24, we see the wise foreman. He's the person who has heard Jesus' words and put them into practice. And in verse 26, we see the foolish foreman. He's the person that's heard Jesus' words but has not put them into practice. Before we get any further into the differences between the two guys, I want us to see what's similar about them because I think that's really important. Both foremen hear Jesus' words. Jesus is not contrasting one person who deeply knows him and one person who has no idea who he is. He's contrasting two people who have heard his words. The people have been listening to his sermon. He's saying, you are these people. You've all heard my words. Both form and hear my words. And so he's talking to the crowd that's there. Both form and they build a house. And they appear on the outside to be the same because it's only when we, the rains come that we see any difference between the houses. And the house in this story, the, the picture that Jesus is painting, the house is our relationship with God. That's the, what the house represents in the story. And we understand uh, that it's not possible to know everything about someone by just looking at what's on the outside. Like everybody knows that. But I think we forget that that's, true about uh, our spiritual lives as well. You can't really know what's going on with someone's heart just by looking on the outside. And so there's two foremen, there's two houses that they build. And the other thing that's the same about the two foremen is that they build a house in the same location because they both experience the same storms. Any realtor will tell you location matters work, matters the most, right? Location, location, location. And here Jesus is saying that location is not the thing. It's, he's not saying it doesn't matter. He's not saying, as Aaron talked about, that your theology and that your doctrine, that those things don't matter. He's just saying it's not enough. You can go to a great church with solid teaching where the Bible is preached and the truth is taught, but you can build your relationship with God on something wildly different where you build is not enough. The gospel adds foundation, foundation, foundation. It's the foundation on which we build that's the most important thing of all. And this leads us to where the two foremen, where they're different. Although their houses are built on the same location and they look the same on the outside, they are built in two radically different foundations. The wise foreman builds his house on the rock, and the foolish foreman builds his house on the sand. And I'm not a foreman. I'm not a construction guy. I build Legos. That's about the extent of my construction skills, right? Um, But even I know you did not build a house on sand. Like, that's, everyone knows that. Like, even people who just build Legos, they all know that, right? 
So is Jesus just saying that like one of these guys is smart and one guy is a total idiot? Is that just the extent of his picture? I don't, I don't think it's that simple. I think we need to look closer to see what Jesus is really getting at here. And I think Luke's record of, of these words of Jesus in his gospel, his account of the Sermon on the Mount, is really helpful. In chapter 6 of Luke, he says, Jesus here, telling the same story, refers to the wise man. He says, the wise man dug down deep and laid his foundation on the rock. But the foolish man, Jesus says, built a house on ground without a foundation. See, one of these guys was careful to make sure the foundation he was building on was solid ground. He dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. This is the guy that orders the soil tests, right? He does the erosion studies, right? He's the guy who does the core samples. And he makes sure that the ground that he's drilling on is good, solid ground to build a house. Again, I don't know a lot about houses, but I know that they're heavy, right? So the wise man, he realizes the importance of the house, he realizes how much it weighs. He realizes that it is a big deal. And so he's careful where he builds. He wants to make sure it will not fall. The other guy just begins building, assuming the foundation he's building on is fine. He doesn't carefully examine the ground. He doesn't order the soil tests. He doesn't do the erosion studies. He's the guy that says, man, the view here is great. Let's build this sucker. There are other houses. They're kind of around here. I'm sure it's fine. The problem is that in his carelessness, he was unaware that the foundation he was building on was worthless sand. You see, the guy is not an idiot. He knows how to build a nice house. They look the same. But he's foolish because he didn't pay attention to the foundation he was building on. The most famous example of this is obviously the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? The building is made of roughly 14,500 tons of marble. And even during the construction in the early years, it was visibly starting to lean. Although there is huge cathedrals nearby, the ground where the tower is built has a weak and unstable subsoil. It's not the kind of foundation that you put 14,500 tons of marble on especially in tower form, right? The, the tower is doomed from the beginning. It had nothing to do with the building. It had nothing to do with the materials. It had everything to do with the foundation. You see, what's interesting is that the tower began construction in a time of great prosperity for the city. They had just won a number of battles. There was wealth and there was peace. And the builders just assumed that nothing could go wrong. It was their carelessness that revealed their deep foolishness. See, the foolish builder is concerned about building a house. The wise builder is concerned about building a house that will actually last. Dr. Martin Lloyd joins, he so poignantly writes this, the real thing that we need to know about any view in life or any situation in life that we may hold is whether it will stand the test is it going to help us or be of value to us in our hour of greatest need? Only a house with a firm foundation will last in the storms. Throughout the Bible, there's this theme about the importance of a foundation. It comes up over and over and over again. And the point that's emphasized over and over as the Bible talks about the foundation is that the foundation, which seems insignificant because it's, 
It's hidden out of the way. It seems unimportant because you cannot see it. Nevertheless, it is the absolutely most vital part of any structure. If the foundation is wrong, then everything will be wrong. So what is the foundation that the wise man builds on here, right? What's the solid foundation that Jesus is appealing his listeners to hear? Throughout the Bible, the rock refers to God. But more specifically, throughout the Bible, the rock refers to the Messiah. That's Jesus, the one who would come, the Savior. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is referencing here a number of Old Testament passages which prophesied the coming Messiah, and he's talking about the foundation of a Christian's faith. Let me just read it to you here. This is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, as you come to him, speaking about Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God as precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion a chosen, a precious cornerstone. One who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not... Uh, because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you would declare the promises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you've been made a people. Once you not received mercy, but now you have. Peter is saying that some people come to Jesus and they see him as the rock. They see him as the foundation on which everything in their life and their relationship with God can be built. And some people come to Jesus and they see him as the rock that they tripped over to try to get to the spot where they're building their house. It's really important that you see this. We cannot miss this. Verses 9 and 10 in, in this passage in Peter. You are a chosen people, called out of darkness into light. Once you had not received mercy, now you have. The difference in how Jesus is seen is not because of the merit of the viewer. The difference in how Jesus is seen is not because of the merit of the viewer. It is not because of the skill of the builder. It's God's gracious doing. It's because he called and he revealed and he shined light on. He showed mercy. That's all God's doing. It's all his working. And so what it produces is a people for those whom Jesus is their solid foundation and they received it by unmerited grace. And so it produces in us a joyful humility and a longing to show others the goodness of the solid foundation we've found. And just let me add this to be clear about Jesus' story here because it's easy to confuse what he's saying. He begins the story about these two builders by talking about obedience, right? Those who put my words into practice, those who do it, those who obey it. Just be clear, obedience is not the foundation Jesus is saying to base your relationship with God on. Obedience is not that foundation. If you have listened to anything in Jesus' sermon all around, you will know you can never obey enough. 
In chapter 5, he says, you need a righteousness surpassing that of the Pharisees. Their, their entire career, their entire job was obedience, and it still wasn't enough. You need a righteousness that surpasses theirs. If you're looking to your obedience to be the foundation on which you base your standing with God, man, that is the ultimate in shifting sands. So we all know we're not consistent. We're not always obedient. No, Jesus says that it's obedience to his words that reveals the foundation you've built your life on. It's your obedience that shows. It's it's the fruit. It's it's, it's It's the proof of what is true about your heart. Our response to Jesus' words needs to be to put them into practice, and it reveals that we see Jesus as the king. You see, when you really understand that you've been saved, all that you've been saved from, and you you really understand the immeasurable grace and mercy that God has shown you, then the only way you can respond is by giving your life back to him. That's the only thing that even makes remote sense if you get it, if you understand it. And so, This is the fruit of the gospel, that we give ourselves back to the one who gave himself for us. It reveals, it shows the change that's happened in our hearts. It reveals the foundation, what cannot be seen on the outside. It reveals what's true on the inside. And it's on the foundation of Jesus' sacrificial life and death on our behalf that we base our standing and our status with God. It's on the foundation of Christ the rock, our savior, our redeemer, our friend, our king, he is the tested stone. He is the precious stone, the cornerstone. He's the only foundation that will last. Brings us to the two final components of Jesus' story. You know, there's, there's two foremen, and there's two foundations, and there are two radically different final outcomes. You see, the storms come, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and they beat against the house, the flood came, the torrent struck, and there are two radically different outcomes. The house that's built on the rock did not fall. Luke says it could not be shaken. Why? Because its foundation was built on the rock. But the house unwittingly built on the sand, it fell with a great crash, Luke's says the moment the torrent struck, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. You see, the storms revealed what the houses were built on. The storms reveal the truth about the foundation of the houses. And the storms in our lives, they reveal the truth about the foundation that we've built our faith on, that we've built our relationship with God on. Let me give you some examples. See, if the foundation on which you base and build your relationship with God, if the thing that you think makes him love you, the thing that you think makes him approve of you, if the things that you think get are the things that, that hold your status or your standing with him, if those things are things like how well you obey or how much you give or how you compare to other people or if your good outweighs your bad, then one of two things will happen when the storms of life come, when you lose your job or when there's a miscarriage or when there is immeasurably other the storms in our lives, when those things come, one of two things will happen. One, you will get angry or indignant, and you will see, you will say, God, I've been doing all these things for you. I am better than these other people. You owe me this. And you will see the storms as God's fault, and he owes you because of all you've been doing for him, and he's failed you. 
Or two, you will get anxious and you will despair because you realize that you have not obeyed well and that you have not compared well to others and that your, your bad outweighs your good. And you will see the storms as your fault and you will see the storms as God's judgment on you. It'll feel like God himself is judging you. And in either case, what you've revealed is that the strength of your foundation is totally worthless. At the very time you needed it the most, it abandoned you. The storms came and it washed away. And just as quickly as you built your house, it was destroyed. But if the basis of your faith, the foundation on which you base and build your relationship with God is Jesus the rock, then when the storms and trials of life come, God will be the rock on which holds your house together. And he will be the hope that you have and he will be your comfort and he'll be your confidence and he'll be the one that you run to for shelter and for help and for security. And that's what he will be when you run to him. And you won't see the storms as God's judgment against you. You will see him as the shelter that protects you in the storm. And you won't worry that God doesn't love you anymore, that he doesn't approve of you anymore, that you've ruined something. Because what you'll know is that God loved you when you hated him. That God loved you when you were running as far away as possible from him. The Bible says when you were enemies of Christ, he died for you. And so you will know when your house is built on the rock that when the storms come, that God is your safe harbor and he is your rescue. And he proved that to you by sending Jesus to die on your behalf when you were his enemy. How much more will he save you because you are his kids? The storms that rage on these houses, they refer to the trials that happen in our lives but also is really clear throughout the Bible, the storm and the narrative is also true about God's final judgment. The Bible is clear that a final storm is coming, and it's one that none of us can avoid. It's the storm of God's final judgment. The Bible says, the waters of which he has been holding back. Why? To give us a chance to find shelter in Jesus. You see, there's one foundation that will withstand that flood. It's the foundation built on Jesus' righteousness given to us through faith, revealed in our obedience and our worship of him. Nothing else will stand. Only Jesus, the one firm foundation. You see, some people build their foundation on the rock, and some people are unaware that that foundation is sand, and some people say, man, it's a nice night out. I don't think I need any shelter. But the storms of life will come and the final storm of God's judgment will come. And on that day, we won't just need a shelter. You'll need a fortress with an unshakable foundation. You see, on that day, all of us will come before God. And we will base our standing with him on one of two things. See, some are going to come expecting to be welcomed into heaven, to be welcomed into God's kingdom. And they're going to come expecting to be welcomed based on what they have to offer God. 
Verse 22 from last week, many will say to me on that list last day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? God, here's what we did for you. Here's all the things we did for you, God. Let us in, have mercy on us. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. But there are some who will come on the last day and they'll come before Jesus and the thing that they will rely on on, is not on what they can offer him, but on what he has freely offered to them. And they'll say, Jesus, I have one thing to cling on. It's your great grace. It's Jesus whose sacrifice covers me in the storm. It's him alone to whom I cling. And we don't just look to Jesus as our example. We cling to him as our savior. The one who was righteous on our behalf and the one in whom we are made righteous. See, without Jesus, there's no hope. We're dead in our sins. We're enemies of God. We are outside of his kingdom. But it's through faith in him, his life and death on our behalf that we've been become adopted children, loved and cherished, made right with the Father. So we cling to Jesus. Not what we offer him, what he gave to us. That kind of clinging to him it makes us right. It works itself out in glad obedience to him. It reveals the truth about our foundation. See, the foundation determines the ability of a structure to withstand the storms. And just as the other foundations, just as the foundation of our faith, the, ba- the basis on our standing and our status with God will determine whether our faith will withstand the storms of life and the final storm of God's judgment. You see, the point is this. The point of all of Jesus' story, his his final wrap-up here, it's that how we respond to him, how we hear him, what we do with his great sermon, it reveals the truth about which of these two foremen we are. It reveals the truth about the foundation we've built our faith on and our lives and our relationship with God on. It reveals the truth about the final outcome of what our faith will be. As R.T. Francis writes, The teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is not meant to be admired. It's meant to be obeyed. And you can never obey without Jesus giving you a new heart so that you'd long to. Throughout the sermon, you can never obey enough. You need a new heart that I give you that will cause you to long for that. What we see throughout the sermon is that Jesus says, I've been perfect on your behalf. I'm the one who empowers you to increasingly obey this great sermon. You have no power on your own to do it. It's impossible. I want to make sure, though, as we, as we wrap up our study, I want to make sure that in seeing the point of Jesus' story, we do not miss the purpose of it. Why does Jesus end his sermon with this story? Why does he give this example You see, the purpose of this final picture of Jesus is to cause the hearers of his sermon to reflect on it, to examine their own lives in light of what Jesus has just said. It's a call, it's an invitation, but it is a sober warning to discern which person you are and respond accordingly. There are two foremans, there are two foundations, and there are two wildly different final outcomes. There are two roads 
There is a wide road that leads to destruction, and there is a narrow one that leads to life. One commentator writes this. Jesus' whole object is to enable us to detect the difference between the two builders so that we would safeguard ourselves against the consequences of the false position while there is still time. I have to be honest with you guys. My, I feel like my heart has been really heavy this week as I prepared to teach and preach these words. I've been praying over you and over my own heart and just like pleading with God that he would be gracious to us. You see, Jesus' great sermon does not, doesn't end with a go get him. Doesn't end with an attaboy. Doesn't end with a give it your best shot. It ends with a sober warning. One, one road, there's life, and the other, there's death. That's it. I prayed that God would help us all to see his warning to us as his great love for us while there is still time to respond. You see, the storms of life can be good news if they keep you from a wrong foundation in the final storm. The storms of life can be good if they reveal a faulty foundation while there is still time to fix it. Early on in the construction of the Tower of Pisa, they noticed that the tower was leaning. They could see that the they could see what was going on. You know what they did? They kept building it and they just changed the angle. And so if you look at the tower, it has this banana shape to it. They didn't fix the foundation. They just kept building on a worthless one. It was never going to work. It was never going to last. And without the wonders of modern technology, the tower would have fallen long ago. Its destruction would have been complete. You see, a faulty foundation will work for a little while, but it will never last Nothing else will work except for Jesus. The only thing that makes us right with God is when we accept Jesus' work on our behalf and we get his righteousness. That our hope is not in our performance, but it's in Jesus' performance on our behalf. And that's who's in our hope. That's who we place. God, we have nothing to offer. You have everything that you've offered to us. And so we cling to that. Isaiah talks about all our righteous deeds, all of our actions. They are like worthless, filthy, bloody rags. They have no value. They have no value in making us right with God. Their value in our righteous acts is revealing where our righteousness is found. Stop trying to make something else work. Don't just try to course correct your tower. You need a new foundation. If you are a Christian, if you are following Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, if he is your king, then you have found the one foundation that will last. The question for you, as Jesus is telling, he's speaking to his disciples. They trust him. They know him. They're following him. 
And he's speaking to them and to the crowds. And he says to his disciples, his, his, his response to them, right? You know what the right foundation is. Where are you building? For those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's a question about wisdom, right? See, knowledge and wisdom are different. Knowledge is if you know a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you do not put tomatoes in fruit salad, right? It's not, wisdom is the application of our knowledge. If you know that Jesus is the foundation, and yet you still build the foundation of your life on your, your status and your standing with God, if you build that foundation on something else, what good is that? We're so tempted all the time to run from building our foundation on the one thing that's true and to start building it on worthless sand. The Galatians were proof of this. Have you not believed the grace of truth and now you're not relying on your works? What foolishness is that? It's so easy for us to feel in our failures or in our mistakes or in our sin, our rebellion from God. So easy to forget that that's not the thing that makes us right with him. That that's the thing he's renewing and redeeming and restoring in us. For me, I'm so often tempted to believe that the way God sees me is is based on how things are going here at our church. That's building my house on worthless, shifting sand. It doesn't matter what happens here. God sees me the same. I'm his kid because my faith is in Jesus. You see, that's the essence of the battle between religion and the gospel, and it's waging war in our hearts every day. We are so tempted to go back to the worthless idols and the sandy foundations, and we don't even realize it. What we need is God's spirit graciously to do the soil tests in our heart, right? You're building somewhere wrong. Return to the right foundation. Return to the rock. It's the only thing that will stand. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus... Maybe you are still investigating him. Maybe you're figuring out who he is. Maybe you are learning. Maybe you are growing. Man, you are welcome here. Like no matter where you are in that journey, no matter where you are at in that, you are welcome. In fact, you are the reason we started this church. But I need you to hear this. At some point, you will have to decide who Jesus is. At some point, you will have to respond to his words. And Jesus' words at the end of his sermon are meant to you to be a sober warning and a loving invitation. Because just like it was for the people who heard Jesus' sermon 2,000 years ago, the temptation is true for all of us as well to hear his words, to be amazed, to be impressed, to admire them, but not to do them. And Jesus says there's two paths. In verses 28 and 29, the crowds, it says that they were amazed because Jesus taught as one who had authority, not like their scribes or their teachers of the law. Throughout the sermon, Jesus said things like, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And the very end, he says, whoever hears these words of mine, he's not functioning as a representative of God. He's functioning as God himself. Jesus is not a spiritual guru. He is not a mystic with wise words. No, Jesus claims to be God himself. He spoke as one with authority because he has it. 
Colossians chapter 1, for him all things were created. All things have been created through him. They're for him. He is the beginning of all things. In him all things hold together. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in absolutely everything he would have supremacy. See, Jesus speaks as one who has authority because he does. He actually has authority over everything. So the question is, how will you respond to Jesus' words? C.S. Lewis says it best this way. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. He's either a liar, Christ who has deceived mankind by conscious fraud, and in which case, man, Christians should just be pitied. Apostle Paul says the same thing. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, man... We should just be pitied. We, we are pitiful. This is sad. And if Jesus isn't a liar, then maybe he's a lunatic. He was deluded himself into believing that he was God. And if that is the case, man, Christians, we shouldn't just be pitied. We should be absolutely ashamed. We should be mocked for having been deceived by a fool. But he's either a liar or a lunatic. And I think... The only conclusion you can come to when you read Jesus' words is that he wasn't a liar. And neither were his disciples, all of which went to martyrs' deaths. And he wasn't a lunatic. Do you read his words? Does he sound crazy to you? Then he must be Lord. He must be who he says he is. These words of mine, if you hear them and do them, there's life. His words demand our response if he really is Lord. But if you believe that Jesus is a liar or a lunatic, then the most foolish thing that you can do is stay around. The most foolish thing you do is just kind of be Christian-ish. Because then you're just hanging out with liars and lunatics. There's no point to that. But if Jesus really is Lord, then we've got to pursue him. We're told in verse 28 that the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching, but we don't know how they responded. And I ask you the same question that Jesus asked his people. What's your reaction? How will you respond? You see, the gate is narrow, but it's not barricaded. It's not blocked. It's open to all. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the one only way to right relationship with God. There's it. It's me or nothing. He's the narrow gate. In Matthew 11, he says, come all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. John 10, Jesus says, I came that you'd have life, have it to the full. You see, Jesus' words are an invitation to us to come and to respond, to build our house on the rock. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. And Jesus is, his words at the end, it's like him reaching out and just saying, take it. Take it. Take the narrow gate. Take the narrow road. It leads to life. And it's narrow and it's just through me, but it is open for everyone. His invitation, examine your heart, examine your life. Where is your foundation? What do you believe is making you right with God? 
if it's something other than Jesus' righteousness given to you on your behalf through faith, then it is a worthless foundation that will never last. And it won't be helpful to you in this life, and it will fail you in the next. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one foundation. Build your house on me. Let your obedience reveal that that's true. I will not let you down. I'm the rock which you need. I will withstand every storm. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for you and for your word. God, we want to put ourselves under the authority of your word and under the authority of your teaching. God, it's your word that it's your word that's the only thing that matters. God, not what I think about it, but what you've said. So God, I pray that you would cause us to not just hear your words, but respond to them. Not just to admire them, not just to, not just to, to, to look at them, but to respond to them. God, for those of us who see you as our true foundation, the precious cornerstone, the rock of our foundation, God, give us wisdom by your spirit to show us where we're building our house other places. God, graciously convict us when we're trying to build or base our relationship with you on something other than Jesus. God, we are so tempted all the time to believe lies about where we should build. God, show us the truth. God, and for those who are here this morning who are exploring you, who are figuring out where you're at, God, I pray that you just pursue them and call them to you. God, I believe that you're Lord. That you are who you said that you were. So God, I ask that you would cause all of us, by the power of your spirit living within us as your people, to build lives and to build our foundation and our status and our standing with you based on King Jesus, our Savior. Would that enable us to withstand the storms of this life and the trials that will come God, so that we might be able to withstand the one trial at the end that matters most. Jesus thinks that you are the good foundation. Thinks that, your, thinks that your words to us this morning are not just a warning, but they're a loving invitation to respond to you while there's still time. Help us to do that, God, for our good, for our joy, for your great and abiding glory. Amen.